You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. I just handed Andy my gum on the way. I was like on the way up and I was like, I have gum in my mouth. What do I do? I'm like, oh, a husband here. Okay. Uh, yeah. Sorry, honey. Thank you. <laughs> Go wash your hands. <laughs> okay. um, how are you guys? You good? I can kind of see you, sort of. This is weird being in these lights right now. I'm going to tell you a quick, just funny story. Um, I prefer handheld mic because it makes me feel like powerful and amazing, but I want to be cool and like, this is really cool. So I want to wear the cool, like wireless mic, but I play with my hair all the time. So I'm going to try to like not touch my face, but I actually delivered this message, uh, a version of it anyways, um, a couple weeks ago in Georgia. And uh, they pre-wired me, you know, before the service started. So I was already mic'd before worship and everything. And I'm in the back worshiping, um, just like worshiping my guts out, you know? And I'm like in the back like, yeah, Jesus, whoa! Little did I know that my mic, for whatever reason, was wired into the ears of the poor drummer that he's like drumming during worship. He's like, ow! Gosh, he's like a 13-year-old kid. He's like a prodigy. He's amazing. Um, But anyway, he he said one time I was like, Jesus, and he hit the floor. Like, he just fell out of his chair. (laughs) So anyway, thank goodness. I don't don't see Anthony right now, but I'm I'm glad I wasn't in his ears today. (laughs) Praise Jesus. Well, anyway, I am uh, Danielle, like Andy, Andy, my husband, uh, told you, but I'm so excited to share this message with you. I have to give you full disclosure. I'm hesitant to say this because I really love um, teaching and preaching and, and being with you guys. So I'm hesitant to tell you, um, but I really don't have like a well of millions of messages within me. <laughs> I actually have one. And you basically get like the same thing every time I speak. I just like flavor it a little different, hoping you don't notice. But I hope they keep asking me to share and they aren't like on to me. Uh, but my, my one message is identity. <laughs> and if you ask anybody who ever spends any time with me, um, they would tell you that this is the truth. Um, and, and the more that I'm on this identity kick, if you will, um, the, more, the more I'm recognizing that it's all about reconciliation, that our identity is so rooted in our original design as sons and daughters, and that that really, the picture that I have for that and what I can't get off of right now is returning to the garden state. Not New Jersey, (laughs) but the state that we were in in the garden, the true original design of who who we are to be. So if you ask me to speak on grace, you're going to wind up with an identity message that is ultimately a reconciliation message. If you ask me to speak on maturity, you're going to get an identity message that's ultimately about reconciliation. And today, I'm speaking to you guys about justice. And I hope you can hang with me because I've already given the end away. It's ultimately an identity message, and it's ultimately about reconciliation. So do you think you can hang with me even yeah. though I just gave you the punchline? Yeah. Okay, fantastic. As I was going through these notes, so I, I delivered this message, a version of it anyways, uh, at um, an event called Simple Conference, which is a part of um, FDM, which stands for Family Discipleship Ministries. It's the organization that Andy and I are ordained through. They're um, another, another part of our tribe. Um, and so I delivered this message for them. And, and when they gave it to me, they said, we want you to speak on justice, how the church can save the world. 
And so if you've taken any of those personality tests before, you know, the, um, like about being a prophet, a teacher, um, um, fivefold, apostle, prophet, teacher, um, pastor, evangelist, right? I, I, I tend on like the prophet side of things. So when you give a prophet a justice message, they're like, yes. <laughs> so, so I'm so excited to share this with you. I unpacked it a lot um, from what I gave up there to what I'm bringing you today because I, this is my family. So I am so excited to bring you our version um, and what I feel like the Lord has really given me for you guys. I'm gonna take just a second because I forgot and I'm gonna put my phone on a um, timer thing so I don't go crazy. I have the, I need you to be warned. I have the most notes (laughs) for this message out of any message that I've ever, ever given. So I'm gonna need to really pay attention to what I'm doing, or it'll be 4.30 and we'll still be here. All right, so, all right, so I'm so excited. So you have the end in mind. Here we go. You ready? When I was, when I was first looking into justice, I kind of took the easy way out and I wanted to know what Miriam Webster had to say. That's an easy place to start when you want to know anything. So I went to find out what Miriam Webster has to say about justice. And here's the dictionary definition is one, the maintenance or administration of what is just, two, the administration of the law, and three, the quality of being just, impartial, or fair. That's what Merriam-Webster has to say. That's the earth's understanding of justice. But what is God's definition, right? Because we know we always want his definition of everything. I don't want to be walking around in the earth with with an earthly understanding or definition of anything. I always want God's version. I always want the kingdom version. And we know, right, we live in an upside-down kingdom. We live in the kingdom where uh, safety means vulnerability and abundance means giving everything away. So I always want to make sure that I have heaven's um, definition, right? I am the place. You are the place where heaven and earth collide. Pause and think of that for a minute. With the tearing of the veil... And the Holy Spirit, whoa, AC is kind of like crazy. Okay, (laughs) with the tearing of the veil, right, and the Holy Spirit entering into you, inhabiting you, you are now literally the Holy of Holies, you, yourself, your person. You are the place where heaven and earth collide. So it's therefore, it's your responsibility to be representing heaven everywhere we go. Right? So we need to be sure that we have God's definition, that we have heaven's definition when we're walking around. As ambassadors of heaven, it's our responsibility. I want to have heaven's definition of justice. I want to have heaven's definition of family. I want to have heaven's definition of love. Right? So that's what we're going after today. So I think, by and in large, the church has so differentiated between God's justice and his mercy, that, that we've gotten a little bit off track. We, we look at Psalms, right? And we see David crying out for God to unleash his justice. And we can cheer on what, what, what appears to be a vengeful God who will stop at nothing to destroy his enemies. Of course, we do know the truth is that God, God's vengeance will stop and did stop at nothing to destroy his enemies. But his enemies aren't people or opinions or political parties. His enemies are everything that opposes love. 
He did stop at nothing. But we see this Old Testament picture. And in the Old Covenant, the picture of of justice, oftentimes we see as you read the scripture, is this picture of God's arm outstretched, unleashing justice, okay? So I want you to hold on to that picture. We're going somewhere with that, okay? Or we could take Romans. <laughs> Romans 9, 22, 23 talks about objects of wrath and objects of mercy. And we could take that and wonder like, oh, am I an object of wrath? I don't know, that's scary. That sounds like a scary God. Am I an object of mercy? Wow, I hope I'm an object of mercy, right? We delineate different pictures of him and we create hard lines in his character. Adam and Eve get kicked out of the, ju- uh, out of the garden, justice. Jesus on the cross, mercy, Or we just split them right down the middle and take Old Testament God, New Testament God. We call Old Testament God justice, New Testament God mercy. And we just are grateful that we live in the new covenant because that old covenant stuff was scary stuff. But then we're left to fight a battle in our minds of why his character changed. Why why was he vengeful then but not today? Or, Or why in the story of Pharaoh and Egypt and the Israelites, why did Pharaoh really get such the crap end of that deal, right? Like if we don't justify or reconcile this character, ultimately we're splitting the character of God right down the middle and we're calling him good cop, bad cop. You cannot be the answer to the world's need for a father if you yourself haven't reconciled its character. So step one in this message, right, how the church can change the world, (laughs) that's my baby, is reconciling his character to truly understand. We have to truly understand that his mercy and his justice are two sides of the same coin, and that coin is his goodness, and we cannot separate them. They actually cannot exist without each other, and we're going to get there. But we have to settle once and for all in our hearts the issue of his goodness. It's why it's one of our core values of this house, the goodness of God. He has always been and will always be good. Adam and Eve being removed from the garden is a picture of God's mercy. It's a picture of his mercy Right, Because we understand that the tree of life made everything it touched eternal. Had they had access to the tree of life after they entered into the sinful state, then it would have made their sinful state eternal. We must remove them from the garden so that I can reconcile myself to them. And the picture of Jesus on the cross is the ultimate picture of justice as well. I don't want to give it away, but that's where we're headed. He is just because he is good. Justice without mercy is cruelty, but mercy without justice is powerless, and it actually cannot exist without it. Hmm. So I'm going to unpack for you today, before we find our definition of justice, I want to unpack with you today a few movements in the name of justice that we have in the earth right now, okay? A few things that we're seeing in our current culture and and understanding uh, around us as common, right? We're seeing social justice. There's nothing wrong with social justice, okay? Social justice is defined as a state or doctrine of egalitarianism. (laughs) That's a fancy word. Egalitarianism is defined as a belief in human equality, especially with respect to social, political, and economic affairs, or a social philosophy advocating the removal of inequalities among people. 
But in our culture, social justice has become code for all good things that no one dare argue or be against. And while social justice really does sound really good, and and let me pause and tell you that I actually believe the social justice movement. I believe that God so wants to see the church doing that. But when the church isn't stepping up and being the bride and doing what's in God's heart for us to do, he inspires it in the hearts of men and he'll see it happen in the earth. If we're not doing, he'll inspire it in the hearts of men and they'll see it happen in the earth. I believe it was actually for the bride to take and to carry and we're going there. That's what we're doing. Okay, so I believe it was a move of God, but what we're seeing happen is this kind of twisting, right? Because the church, church, the only, the only rights that can't be taken for you, from you are the rights that were given to you on the cross. Those are the only rights that can't be taken away. And those rights don't need fighting for because they've been paid for, right? And we, those are the rights we need to be introducing people to. Social justice movements that are solely humanitarian in nature are completely missing the mark. They're good, they're necessary, but they're missing the mark. Equality for all, a thing I'm calling identity justice, basic human rights. These are things that Jesus is passionate about, but we have to, again, make sure that we have heaven's perspective and that we're representing the kingdom of God as we're moving in those things. Because a moral duty without the power of the gospel is moralism. It's moralism. At its best, it's a watered-down version of the gospel, and at its worst, it's a blatant misrepresentation. If we're moving in humanitarianism without the transformative power of the gospel, we've missed it. We have to be so careful. If the gospel message is only filled with deeds and social equality but is void of transformative power, we're missing it. We have to be careful in this, in this age of social justice that we're clearly representing Jesus because what has gone from humanitarian organizations simply filling the void for what I believe God wants to see the church doing, feeding the poor, caring for orphans, providing impoverished people with basic human needs, has become synonymous with this move of identity justice that is not defined by kingdom terms. Okay, so that's... Justice move, number one. How about this one? Street corner justice. I've seen it. I know you've seen it, right? Friday night, they're down there with their signs. God hates gays. God hates rap. I actually saw that. Like, what? God hates rap? Maybe he and Lecrae should have a talk. I don't know. God hates rap, okay? You're going to hell. Man, you know, I just feel so encouraged right now. That really feels like the gospel to me. You know what? Could you please tell me more about this Jesus that you love so much? I really want to know him. Yikes. Yikes. But they have to know. We have to tell them how bad they are. They need to know how bad they are. You know, it's God's anger that really draws people to a repentance. Wow. (laughs) If I don't tell them how wrong they are, how will they know? They know. All right, how about the move uh, that says that natural disasters are the justice wrath of God? I have a question, just real quick. Was the blood of Jesus enough? Let's settle it. Was the blood of Jesus enough? Did the blood of Jesus pay for everything? Oh, except for the sins of Haiti. Or the sins of California. They're so bad, God had to hit them twice. First the blood of Jesus, then a couple earthquakes. That's messed up. Right, I'm so gonna steal this, quoting Andrew Lamb, right? But if, if the blood of Jesus wasn't enough, if God is using natural disasters to pay for sin, then he needs to apologize to his son for his sacrifice. 
Nothing was too big for Jesus' blood that he has to use natural disasters. How about this picture that we get of Jesus calming the storm, rebuking the storm? If God sent the storm and then Jesus rebukes it, is he, is he contradicting himself? He can't contradict his character. That's not real. That's not a thing. All right. How about this one, guys? I came up with this one all on my own. Are you ready? <laughs> Social media justice. Or opinion justice. It's, I posted about this one. <laughs> Tweet it, everyone. Um, it's, it's not just unless my opinion gets shared. The comments and the posts on my Facebook are an injustice to me. Side note, guys, everybody's happy on Instagram. <laughs> over to Instagram. Everybody's happy there. <laughs> That's why I'm not on Facebook anymore. <laughs> but Danielle, you don't understand. My answer is the right one. They need my response or how will they ever know? How are they ever going to find Jesus? Someone has to tell them that they are wrong. I need to show them the way. Remember, I told you earlier, I, I test as a prophet, so I get it. Like, I really get it. Like, oh, it's not right unless I tell them that they're wrong. Right? Honestly, guys, I don't even know how Jesus had a ministry without Facebook. How did he do it? How did 12 ordinary man, men create the gospel movement that we're still perpetuating and living in today without social media. How do they do that? That is just shocking to me. <laughs> but Danielle, my posts, my comments, my opinions, my responses, etc. they I am really making an impact here. Let me be clear. You impress from far away. You impact from up close. You impress from far away. By the way, Facebook is far away. You impact from up close. So you may be making an impression, positive or negative, far away, but you will make an impact, positive or negative, up close. Your impact is in your circle that's about this big, not this big. This is where your impact is. Okay? But Danielle, no one is asking me about my faith, so I have to just tell them. If no one is asking you about your faith, it says more about you than it does about them. If, all right, listen up. Let's say I went to the beach. I love the beach. Let's say I went and I spent a couple hours at the beach. Not now, because it's cold. Let's pretend it's summer. Cold for Florida, 70 degrees. <laughs> Let's pretend it's summer and I go spend the day at the beach. And then I come in on a Sunday morning. I see all you guys, all my friends and family. I see you guys. Every single one of you is like, whoa, Danielle, you're so tan. You spent some time in the sun, girl. A life in the sun has evidence. If no one is asking you about your glow, you need to check your glow. If they're not asking... That's on you. Thanks, Mindy. 
all right, all right, all right. How about the justice system, right? Now, hold on. I started digging into this and went on about 100 bunny trails, and I had to stop. So I'm just going to say one little thing here that we can establish, and then we can move on, because otherwise it is a, this is, oh, what's that word? A can of worms. I was, yeah, all right, but I'm not going to open the can. I'm just going to like crack it and give you one little thing and then I'm going to run away, okay? (laughs) All right, so the justice system is developed by man. It may be God-honored, and I believe it is, but don't get it twisted. God honors the laws of of the land and the justice justice system, but it is man-made. Yeah, (laughs) okay. Um, The very most critical point and a very upside-down point that I'm about to make, okay? Upside down kingdom. And the thing I think we need to grasp, our justice system is built on right and wrong. And that's not wrong, but it's true. Our justice system is built on right and wrong and his justice system is established in life and death. What is bringing life? So is it the very most just thing for someone to receive the death penalty for a crime that would warrant it or is the most just thing for that person to meet Jesus and get the fullness and abundance of life that he died for. Now I'm gonna run away. Okay, Okay. (laughs) Okay, just just think on it. That's all I wanna put that out there, okay, right? Like what really is the most just thing? I'm not saying politically where I stand, where you should stand, that is not what this is about. Just that his kingdom is established in life and death and the justice system is established in right and wrong. I think there's a place for it. I think we need it. Just think on that for a minute. Okay, all right. So my message is justice. How can the church save the world? So maybe the way that we can truly save the world is by coming into... A healthy, (laughs) heavenly, realistic understanding of what justice really is. And now here's the punchline. The thing that you've all been waiting for me to say is that his mercy and his justice were forever unified on the cross. In his crucifixion, in his burial, and in his resurrection. In that moment, the cross becomes our picture for justice once and for all. And the second that we try to remove justice from that context in any way at all, if we try to remove justice from this context, then we're going to run the the danger of painting a picture of a punitive God. And he, justice is not punishment. Because John... 1 John 4.18 says there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. So here's what I hear when I read that that word. God is love. Love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. Therefore, there is no punishment in God. God is love. Love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. There is no punishment in God. Love casts out fear. Punishment is therefore not in God nor of God. Now, when I read scriptures about discipline, they are dripping in love. His discipline is dripping in love. 
couple of scriptures on discipline. You ready? The Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. It's Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. It's my joy to discipline and shape my children and bring them up in the way they should go. And when they step out of that to redirect and to discipline, right? Hebrews eleven twelve says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. How many of you want to produce a harvest of righteousness and peace? That sounds amazing. I'm going to welcome the discipline of the Lord if it's going to produce a harvest of righteousness and peace. Blessed is the one whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. His discipline looks at the things that stand between us and puts that loving finger on the things and they get burned up in the fire of his love and passion for us. How many of you have ever felt that? Like that finger of God touching something like, "Mm, babe, that's got to go, that thing right there. Honestly, it doesn't feel good. It's not like, oh, wow, I feel great about that, right? Sometimes it's hard, but it's keeping you from the fullness of who you are. It could be sin, wrong thinking, wrong belief system, a, a lie, something just icky in your thoughts, right? It's painful. It's hard. It doesn't feel good. But when we welcome it and we lean into it, we come out looking more like Jesus, that's all I want ever, ever, forever. A friend of ours was over a couple of weeks ago. Um, his name's Albert Lovings. If you've had the privilege of meeting Albert, they actually visited our church a couple of weeks ago. Um, he's a storyteller. It's amazing. But he was just sitting on our couch one day, and he says, man, I just so welcome the correction and the discipline of my father because I know it means he hasn't given up on me. I just love leaning into that, that discipline, right? Okay. What if that truly is justice? Because see, on the cross, justice was done once and for all. Everything, we're talking about restoring to that garden state. Everything that was lost in the garden was restored in that instant. So then justice, true justice, is Christ getting the full reward of his sacrifice. Jesus getting the full reward of his sacrifice. Justice is the garden state being restored. Justice is God's design being manifest in the world, righting the wrong. And that, that definition that we have, the administration of what is just, starts to kind of make sense. But we also have that definition that says justice is what is fair. I want to be really clear. Justice is not fair. All of the justices that I listed, social justice, social media justice, the justice system, street corner justice, or a theology that aligns with natural disaster justice, those all hinge on fairness and punishment. But just read all of Romans, all of it. But let's just right now for this context, read Romans 5, 15 through 16 in the Passion. Oh my gosh, you ready for this? Now, there is no comparison between Adam's transgression and the gracious gift that we experience. For the magnitude of the gift far outweighs the crime. It is true that many died because of one man's transgression, but how much greater will God's grace and his gracious gift of acceptance overflow to many because of what one man Jesus, the Messiah, did for us. 
And this free-flowing gift imparts to us much more than what was given to us through one who sinned. For because of one transgression, we are all facing a death sentence with a verdict of guilty. But this gracious gift leaves us free from our many failures and brings us into perfect righteousness of God. Acquitted with the words, not guilty. And so that original dictionary definition starts to come to light. Justice as the administration of the law Jesus as the fulfillment of the law. The administration of what is just. In our natural world, justice is fairness. Justice is equality. Justice is punishment. Justice is restoring things to their rightful place. Then it makes sense in the supernatural that justice is restoring everything to its rightful place in the design of God in the garden. That is the picture of justice, the rightful design of the Father. But it it is not Fair. It's not even close to fair. Close your eyes just really quick. I don't know how I'm going to come off of this. I just want you to stay here. That picture of Jesus on the cross being the picture of justice, that wrecks me. That's not fair but it is justice. Okay, come back and be with me for a minute. We're going there again in just a second. It's not fair, not even close. So how do we save the world? How does the church save the world? Step one, I think we start by not answering questions that no one is asking. Nobody on Church Street on Friday night is asking if their sin is killing them or if they're inherently wrong. Nobody on Facebook is asking if Jesus is a Democrat or a Republican. Nobody's asking if their music is of the devil, if they drink too much, if they're stuck in sin. Guys, I, I got this picture. I think sometimes unbelievers are asking for us, us for directions to the grocery store and we're telling them that they're on the path to hell. <laughs> like, I just wanted to know where Publix was. Why are you yelling at me? <laughs> right? We need to stop answering the questions that no one is asking and step into answering the questions that, that they are asking. Am I loved? Am I enough? <laughs> Am I worthy Do I have anything to offer? Do I have a family? Am I alone? Do I have a destiny? Am I okay? (laughs) This this is the cry of the hearts of generations. Those are the questions that are being asked. I think the church is loudly answering questions that nobody's asking. Step two, I think we see people the way Jesus sees them. (laughs) You can't minister to the world if we're constantly disgusted or disappointed or judgmental or ashamed of it. Or, Or if you know better than it, if you have the answer, if you know better. Are we all going to hell in a handbasket? I'm allowed to say that. I'm from the South. (laughs) Does it take faith or encouragement to say so? 
No, our faithless perspective will stop us from calling people from death to life. If we're calling it realism and it's actually faithlessness, it's messed up. Or if we're calling faithlessness, we can't call faithlessness in the name of Jesus. Like I've seen that. I've seen that happening where people are like, man, Jesus, like, what are we gonna do? These people have no faith in, in like what's happening in the world. And we're using Jesus as a reason for that. It's not right. It's messed up, y'all. <laughs> There's no hope is the opposite message of the gospel. It's actually the opposite of what Jesus is saying. I love, love, love how Bill Johnson says any area in your life that is without hope is under the influence of a lie. Any area in your life that is without hope is under the direct influence of a lie. If you have no hope in your finances right now, you're under the influence of a lie. If you have no hope for your career, if you have no hope for your spouse, if you have no hope for X, Y, Z, or if you have no hope for this generation, you're under the influence of a lie. If you have no hope for millennials, you're under the influence of a lie. <laughs> I think I technically like qualify as a millennial. I don't really feel like one, but I think I am in that like window, right? Yeah. If you have no hope for the millennials, and I know they look kind of scary, right? If you have no hope, you're under the influence of a lie. Oh, my earring is hitting my mic. Um, if you have no hope for our political system, you're under the influence of a lie. If you have no hope for the body of Christ, if you have no hope for family, I think you get it. You get it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Unless we are always moved powerfully in love and hope and faith for the people that he died for, we will have no influence and no impact on the world around them. We are called to love because we are the beloved. We are called to move in faith and in hope for what, who they are in their destiny. Step three, understand the true meaning of justice. Reconcile with yourself what justice truly is and that we can't take it outside of the picture of the cross. And I'm gonna spend a little time here. Step four, believe in the beauty and the power of the gospel. I wanna tell you something. I had this revelation did you know, did you know that the Bible actually starts out as good news? It starts as good news. I think, I think sometimes we think that the Bible starts in Genesis 3. I think we like forget that Genesis 1 and 2 is where the Bible starts. We start the story with like, we messed up, we're scum, we're the worst. Like, oh man, people are so bad, we need a savior, Right? If we start the story there, we miss the beauty of the actual original design. Oh my gosh, did you, did you read the part in the very beginning where you were created and designed for intimacy and oneness and glory and joy and worship and passion? Like that's actually the beginning of the story. The tree is not the beginning of the story. Did you know that he breathed life into you and called you good before you ever danced a dance or sang a song or prayed a prayer or led someone to Jesus or went to church or preached a word or loved your neighbor or lived a good life. Like it actually starts out as good news. Oneness was the design, not the answer to the problem. Oneness was the original design, not just the, oh, I gotta answer separation. No, what if the whole gospel 
But what if the whole gospel isn't you were the worst and you need Jesus, but it's actually you were incredible. You're destined for glory. You were designed for oneness with Jesus. That was the, the beginning of the story is that you are designed for oneness. So let me come over here and introduce you to the one who made you this way. And he'll show you that the way that you're living is just not who you are. And that he's the answer. Let me introduce you to him. Reminding you of who you really are. What if our street signs said like, not you're going to hell, but like you're destined for glory. I would want to talk to that person like, really? Cool, tell me about that. What if what we're fishing with isn't working because it tastes sour? Did you know that the gospel message actually should be enticing? Like it actually is exciting and fun and great. It's really a good story. Whoa. (laughs) It's actually good. We don't have to trick people into believing that the gospel is good. We don't have to trick them. We don't have to be like, "Um, let me show you how great it looks over here. Right? Like it actually is amazing. And you know, we also, hold on, we also don't have to be careful not to oversell it. Like, oh, I don't want to tell them it's too good because then what if it isn't? Like, no, it's impossible to oversell the message of Jesus dying for your sins and reconciling you to oneness with the Father. Like, you can't oversell that. It is actually the very best. It is actually the very best. I don't, oh, hold on, I feel it. I don't have to, (laughs) I don't have to try to prove to this generation that my life is super fun and great with Jesus. Like, I don't have to prove that my version of fun and joy and life with him is better than what they're being sold, because it is, and I don't have to oversell it, and we don't have to, whoa, we don't have to, like, make Jesus look culturally relevant and culturally cool so that they'll jump on board with it. Like, he is already the most relevant, He is already the coolest thing going. He is already the most fun and most abundant person in the room. We don't have to oversell or or be afraid of overselling. It's impossible to do. That one was not on my notes. Okay. (laughs) Woo. (sighs) Where am I? (laughs) It's good news. It's good news basically is where I am. Um, You are incredible. You were made for glory. You're designed to be one with Jesus. The sin and the shame and the junk for which you require a savior was taken care of on the cross. Come over here and let me show you that you actually have already been saved and set free and delivered and you're living with your chains on your ankles and in the cage for no reason. You're living there for no reason. Come into the revelation and the belief of what he did for you and boom, freedom. Boom, freedom. Free. We are desperate for a savior. Do not mishear me. We need a savior. It's the truth of the the gospel. I am crazy in love with a Jesus who saw me in my mess. Man, don't you all just have that moment where you like, Remember that he saw it and he saw you and he saw it all. Maybe that's not exactly how your story went. But I remember the moment when I looked in the mirror and I saw what I was. I saw who I thought I was. And then I saw him look into me and see me, see the real me. And I'm crazy in love with Jesus because of that. Because he saw the sin and the shame 
and the junk in my life and the crap that was keeping me from abundance and fullness. And he loved me anyway. Crazy in love. Crazy grateful. So yes, we need a savior. But my need for a savior highlights my need for intimacy and oneness with him. And that's the foundation, is that he actually designed us for that. He designed me for that. All right, last little point, know who you are. The church can save the world when we step into the revelation of who we are as sons and daughters. And then we can give people a glimpse of who they are as sons and daughters. No one actually needs to be reminded of their sin or their weakness of shortcomings. I was quite aware of my issues. I was quite aware. It was the, the burning love in the eyes of Jesus that looked at me with love anyway, that drew me to him. Not the revelation of how bad I was. It was the revelation of how good he was. So what if we stop focusing on the sin issue and start focusing on the identity issue, calling you as a son or daughter of the most high? Because when you enter into relationship with him, that stuff gets destroyed. The more access you give him, the more naked we become the more we return to that garden state, that stuff goes away because we're one with him. The earth is groaning for the revelation of sons and daughters. I wrote down some stuff during worship. Guys, I am ready. People who spend a lot of time with me are going to laugh because they've heard this a hundred times. I am in this zone I've been in this zone since I met Jesus, but now like super in this zone. I'm super duper in this zone right now <laughs> of my life for the gospel, my life for the gospel. I want us to be a people so devoted to the lamb getting the fullness of his reward that we will stop at nothing to see it. That is justice. That is justice. Justice on earth means that Justice in the earth means that I should have gotten what I was owed. Justice in the kingdom means that Jesus is getting what he is owed, what he paid for. And let me tell you what he paid for is, is not just sin and healing and sickness. That is huge. What he paid, if all he did, if all he did was pay your way to heaven, it's enough. It's enough. That alone should wreck us forever. But it was actually so much more than that. It's not just about going to heaven when you die. If you're waiting to go to heaven when you die, then Jesus isn't your savior. Death is. Jesus getting his full reward. This doesn't make sense. This is so upside down. Jesus getting his full reward is me living a life of abundance. Me living free from the lies and, the, and the, the mind games and the stuff that keeps me and hinders me from being the fullness of who he designed me to be. Living in complete community and family. That's part of his design. It's part of what he died for. Living free from sickness. Healed fully. This is what he died for. This is Jesus getting the fullness of his reward. And I am on this right now. I will never come off of this. My life for the gospel. May we be a people devoted to seeing the lamb get the full reward of his sacrifice. 
May we be a people devoted to seeing the lamb get the full reward for his sacrifice. Stopping at nothing to see him get what he paid for. That is the picture of justice. This is how the church saves the world. All right, we're about to do something. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. All right. So we had our monthly outreach, our Acts 2 monthly outreach. Did you guys know that we do an outreach once a month? We do. It's awesome. So we had this amazing opportunity for monthly, our monthly outreach came up last week called Halloween. Do you guys know about the Halloween um, uh, party, it's a better word, event that happens at Crane's Roost. Okay, um, how many people are there? Do you know like a rough estimate of how many people are at this thing? Like 10,000 plus. A lot of people. And we have favor with the city of Altamont Springs. And so we were allowed, Acts 2 was allowed to set up a tent there and like see the lamb get the full reward of his sacrifice. (laughs) Right? So it's my responsibility to make sure that the lamb gets the full reward of his sacrifice in me, that I am getting my mind renewed, that I am always setting my mind on things above, that I am, that I am breaking lies and choosing to walk outside of fear and to walk in love and to restore relationship and to be healthy. I want to make sure that the lamb gets the fullness of his reward in me. I want to be what Jesus died for. I am what Jesus died for. And my life abundantly is what he died for. And I want to see him get the fullness of his reward in me. And it is also our responsible, our responsible, our responsibility to see the lamb get the fullness of his reward in the earth to others who don't yet know him or who need him. So Andrew's going to come up and he's going to share some of the amazing, amazing, crazy amazing testimonies that happened in our Halloween outreach. Andrew, why don't you give us the first one? Reward. My name's Lamb. <laughs> I'm not sure that's what she means, but I like it anyway. All right, you guys ready to hear some like crazy good stuff? Yes. I'm not sure you are. Should we go ahead and have... You ain't ready. Jesus Hills Mom and Daughter, title of this one. During our Halloween outreach, we talked to an Indian mother and her daughter. One of our students, Sonia, felt like Holy Spirit told her, told the mother, had lumbar pain. The mother said she had back pain every day, and right now it hurts at about a five out of ten. Sonia prayed for healing and asked if the lady asked the lady if she felt anything. The lady smiled and said she felt heat in her back and that the pain was now completely gone. Come on. Can we just say heat good? Heat is good, okay? So, and now keep in mind, we are praying for people that we have no idea what kind of church, culture, background, whatever they have. I mean, in the church, when we hear people talking about heat and stuff, we, we celebrate and it's wonderful. But we're talking about people who have no context for this. So, the lady then told Sonia that she also had pain in her neck and asked if Sonia could heal that too. Don't you love that? Come on, answering questions that people are really asking. Sonia prayed for another minute, and then the same result. Heat in her neck, and the pain was gone. Woo! (laughs) 
she went on to say that the worst pain I have is in my feet. I have diabetic nerve pain that I've had for years. The daughter chimed in and said, yes, it even keeps her up at night because the pain is so bad. Sonia lifted up her feet as the mother grimaced in pain. As Sonia prayed, the grimace turned into a smile as all the pain left. <laughs> yes! Come on! Come on, come on. Come on! The mother, astonished she no longer felt any pain, asked us if the pain was going to be gone for good or if she would need to be healed again later on. We told her, no, it's gone for good. Yes! Oh, P.S., the daughter got healed next. Ha-ha. Tummy pain gone in an instant. Yeah. Come on, right? Woo! Yeah. It reminds me in the book of Acts where we hear testimonies of God showing up, and it says that the entire household was saved. Yes. Right? Isn't that just like God to show up and do that? It's not just about one. The whole family's getting in on it. Yeah. May the lamb get the full reward of his sacrifice. Right? You want to hear some more? Okay. Last night at Halloween Outreach, we had an incredible insight into the lives of so many people. We had a line for three hours. Now, I need to explain this to you. We have a tent that's set up there. It's a 10 by 10 tent. We have a table at the front, which we're greeting and handing out candy. Then there's three other tables around the other three sides of the tent. Are you guys tracking with me? So we had those people coming and sitting down at those tables three tables, and the line was so long, we ended up having to start just kind of a stand in the, off to the side place. We had five areas, five areas where people get, were getting prophesied Come over. Come on. Some of the most amazing secrets God showed us. God showed us that a man was a musician and that when he was 17, he felt like he, quote, missed an opportunity. He confirmed that this is true. And said, he said he was the lead guitarist of a rock band and his dad forced him to stop pursuing music and when he was 17 years old. Then God showed us that he was a mechanic. And so, and so was his dad. And that was what he was forced to do when he was younger. Come on, don't you like Come this? On. Just reading the mail or what's going on in somebody's heart. And he said, all this was true and listened intently as I, as we told him, as I told him how we knew these details about his life. He confessed that Jesus must be real for us to know such specifics about him. Yeah. Yes. May the lamb get the full reward for his sacrifice. Yes. So good. You got more? Yeah, I got You want another one? Okay. I'm hoping these are encouraging you guys. This has actually become so normal for us. I don't ever want it to become familiar. Even though it's normal, I don't ever want it to become familiar. This is supernatural. We also had a group of teens coming up to us who were giggling and exclaiming with each accurate word we got. It was a fun and goofy mood, and everyone was having fun. (laughs) Rachel, one of our students, then felt like Holy Spirit revealed that one of the girls was physically abused at 14. The mood shifted as all of the girls started to cry and confirmed this was true. Rachel got to counsel her and lead her through some healing from the traumatic event. Then they listened to us talk about the love of Jesus for them and admitted we must be real that he was speaking to them through us. Come on. We had a husband, a wife, and their young son sit down with us. I got the image of the woman needing healing in her ovaries. She said, this was somebody else talking to me. 
She said she had pain there and confirmed she needed healing. Then one of our students saw that she had recently lost a baby due to this pain. The woman started to cry and admitted she had just gone through a horrible miscarriage. We released healing prayer over her and her husband, rubbed her back, and her husband was rubbing her back, comforting the sobbing woman. After prayer, she said she felt peace and a sensation of heat in the affected area. They left truly feeling seen and known and comforted by God. Oh, P.S. God also showed one of the names, uh, also showed one of us the names that they were considering for the baby that they had lost. Tell me God doesn't see you right where you're at. That's awesome. Come on, we have a reason to celebrate, right? Yeah, come on. Come on. Oh. Guys, people came to a Halloween event looking for candy and maybe some weird stuff. And they met the King of Kings. Like, what is this? What is this? This is life in the kingdom. This is my life for the gospel. Are you guys with me on this? Like, can we... Ah, I want to do a couple of things. But the first thing I want us to do, okay, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you everything. This is how I do it with like teenagers and when I teach middle school. I have to tell you everything first before you like all run to do it, right? Okay, so hold on. Here's what we're going to do. You ready? I want us to do something. We're going to say something together. And then after that, we're going to have our ministry team up here. And we're also going to have um, some of our OSSMers and our outreach participants, those of you who went out on Halloween, up here for two reasons. Okay, reason one is if you want a testimony like the, one, the ones that Andrew just shared. If you're like, I need healing or I need a fresh touch, I need a word, I need to know that he sees me and he knows me and that the King of Kings, that, that he, I want the Lamb of God to get the full reward of his sacrifice in me today. If that's you, that, that's available, okay? As always, but today especially. And then part two, if maybe you're like, no, I, I want to be more ignited to see the Lamb of God get the fullness of his reward. Like maybe of his sacrifice. Like maybe I, I want a fresh touch to ignite me to live my life for the gospel. Both of those are available today. Amongst other things, whatever you want, come get prayer. But here's the deal. Before we move, I want us to do something. Can you guys all stand to your feet? We do declarations in this house a lot because they're so important. We're aligning ourselves with what heaven is doing. We're saying yes to what Jesus is saying. So today, we've just learned about what justice truly is. It's the Lamb of God receiving the full reward for his sacrifice. So we're gonna repeat that a couple of times and then we're gonna repeat my life for the gospel a couple of times. Can you guys just repeat after me? May the Lamb of God receive the full reward for his sacrifice. May the Lamb of God receive the full reward for his sacrifice. May the Lamb of God receive the full reward of his sacrifice. And then this one, you ready? Jesus, my life for the gospel. Jesus, my life for the gospel. Jesus, my life for the gospel. Amen.
All right, prayer teams, go ahead and come. Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life.